I am a mythical Pandora, sent here to judge the universe. Do you have any idea what the weapon is? It could very well be a planet killer. I would really like to go on this mission, Admiral. Imagine having the power to annihilate entire worlds, and even the stars themselves. Humanity is worth saving. What have you done? Pandora. New episodes premiere October 4th, free next day, only on The CW app. New episodes of Pandora premiere every Sunday at 8 p.m. on The CW in the U.S., and you can watch it anytime on The CW app. Season 1 is now streaming for free on Amazon Prime. Welcome back to Unboxing Pandora, the podcast where we take a behind-the-scenes look into the hit CW show, Pandora. My name is Peter Holmstrom. I'm the writer's assistant on the show. And we'll be your host today as we do a podcast commentary for the season finale of season two. It's the final commentary. I'm very excited to get into it. I have two awesome guests with me here today. Uh, first up, he's a uh, first-time guest for me on this season of, of the podcast anyway. Uh, he is a producer on Pandora as well as heading up the editorial team is Aaron Ratner. Aaron, thanks for being here, man. Thanks. Glad to be here. It's going to be fun. Uh, on the other side, he's returning champion. He is the writer of this episode, executive producer, creator, and uh, showrunner for Pandora, Mark A. Altman. Mark, welcome. Good to be back with you, Peter, on the finale of uh, season two. This is going to be fun. So for the audience I out there... I hope so. <laughs> I, hope they're, I hope it's fun. You know, it's, it's, it's really tough uh, with season finales because you want to deliver the goods, you know? Um, uh, I, I look back at like some of the great season finales, like, you know, best of both worlds, uh, part one, with yep. a great cliffhanger. And, you know, there's, there's a high bar. And one of the things with this finale that we tried to do was something we used to do on librarians, which I really like where is you sort of take all these strands from earlier in the season and sort of pay off. Like what you'll see as you watch it, or I'm sure you have watched already, is that we really pay off on you know all the all these you know things that we planted throughout the season, uh, the lost race and the shell and Captain Roy and and um, so you you really it ties into so many things we've seen. And in fact, that was one of the reasons because we didn't do um, previously on the season. That was a network mm -hmm. uh, they thing they they felt like um, let's not do pre which I, I admit we breathe a sigh of relief because they're a pain in the ass to do to cut yeah. those but um but uh but they said let's do for the finale just to bring everybody up to speed we might have some people who haven't watched the show before so we did it and you know in retrospect i wish we had done it the whole season because i think because it was so heavily serialized it, it might have been tough for people to jump on board um you know if they missed an episode but uh so you'll see there's a the return of the previously on uh at the beginning of this episode and then we go right into it and it moves like a shot this episode was actually um about 10 or 12 minutes over so we cut a mm -hmm. bunch of scenes um but um uh, it's it's a unique situation because I directed the finale last season, and obviously that was a very big episode, and uh, I had a lot of fun doing it. Although I gave up one of my shooting days to um, Chris Ledoux, who was doing uh, one eleven, one twelve, which was this huge uh, episode with a lot of mythology and space battles and all kinds of stuff. And I'm glad I did. So I was still it was tough. So I was really looking forward to directing the finale this season. 
And it's the only time where there's enough time for me to actually be able to direct. So then with the pandemic, unfortunately, our schedule got all shuffled around and I had to be back to sort of work, work on post with Aaron. Um, and uh, really it was not feasible for me to then go back to um, Sophia to direct the finale. So as much as I wanted to direct the finale, um, I had to give it up this year, which was really hard for me because, um, uh, you know, I, I really know what I wanted to do. And, you know, you start to get dailies and things aren't done the way you wish, or somebody's in a really ugly sports coat that you would have never let them wear. <laughs> and uh, it can be, uh, it can be very frustrating, but uh, you know, I have to say that I think buddy did an incredible job under very difficult circumstances. You know, um, uh, unlike most finales, he didn't have more time. Uh, he certainly didn't have more budget. Um, it was the penultimate episode we shot was we did shoot uh, 208 with Bloom after this. So even mm -hmm. for the cast, it was challenging because we were shooting a bunch of stuff that hadn't even been set up yet. Uh, the payoff for a lot of that. So um, uh, it was a challenge. And I think, you know, Buddy really came through. There's some great stuff in this episode. Um, I really, I think it's a great series, season finale. Uh, and and, and uh, obviously a big part of the mythology of the first two years is kind of wrapped up. And that's one of the things I think for anybody who's watched these serialized shows like Lost, you know, you don't necessarily want to go seven years or eight years to find out, you know, they're, you know, in purgatory. You know, you want to sort of answer some questions and answer, you know, and ask new ones. So you'll see that this episode sort of answers some key questions, I think, but then also hopefully asks a lot of questions that will get the payoff if there's, you know, season three, uh, which is certainly our hope. And, uh, you know, I can't encourage anyone enough to uh, make sure that if they like the show, they love the show, they enjoy the show, um, to tell their friends, to go, you know, on the various sites and, and write about it and um, uh, uh, watch on the CW app. And, and obviously, um, season one is available commercial free on Amazon. Check that out. Uh, positive, write positive reviews if you can. I mean, it all it all adds up eventually. So, uh, you know, we're, we're cautiously optimistic. We have a lot of cool, exciting plans for season three, but until we're officially picked up, uh, we, you know, we won't know for sure. So, uh, but uh, I, I think it'll be very frustrating if we're not for people because obviously we leave, <laughs> we leave things on a bit of a cliffhanger. <laughs> so, um, and, and that's actually something I took away uh, from uh, Star Trek Enterprise at the end of season three. They did their Nazi, their requisite Nazi planet episode, yeah. and they ended on a cliffhanger. One of the reasons they ended on a cliffhanger because they knew they were on the bubble and they may not get picked up. And they figured, oh, if we leave it on a cliffhanger, then the network's going to have to pick us up. And it kind of worked out that way. And I'm hoping that because we're on a cliff, we ended on a cliffhanger. People, you know, are, you can't end the show now. <laughs> and, 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 you know, part of that is because the show does resolve our, our main story, you know, our, our big, our big Pandora arc from season one mm -hmm. to a large extent, you know, I wanted to make sure people do look, this is not the end of the show. It's just the end <laughs> of this particular storyline. Uh, so, um, anyway, so with, well, with that all that said, <laughs> let's, uh, let's get into it. Uh, so the audience good. out there, again, we are watching an ad free version of the show. So if you are watching on the CW app, uh, please press pause on the podcast uh, when the ads do pop up. Um, all right, Aaron, Mark, you yeah. can do the, the countdown, three, two, one, and then I'll say play, and then we get into it. So here we go. It's the final countdown. 
That's awesome. It's the final (laughs) countdown. All right. Three, two, one, and play. Yeah, and by the way, I want to say, uh, here here comes that recap, how lucky we are to have Aaron on this um, podcast. Aaron is one of his unsung heroes. He's a producer, but he's also (laughs) the post-production supervisor. He's the guy who takes this insane schedule of ours getting your dailies in, making sure that these things get cut on time. We stay on schedule. He oversees the, the post uh, in terms of the sound and color. And I can't tell you, he, in addition to all that kind of uh, logistical stuff, he's also a really invaluable creative partner. I can't tell you how helpful he is to have in all the sound mixes and color timing. And, uh, you know, I promised him early on, uh, we worked on a lot of projects in the past, and one day we would do a show with spaceships, and he said, if you do a show with spaceships, I'll be there. And sure enough, uh, we're doing a show with spaceships, and, and he was good to his word. So. That's fantastic. It, it, it took a decade to get the spaceship. but um. <laughs> It took a long time. And it, it's funny because we, we had a chance back when we were doing a bunch of these direct-to-video movies in the DVD era to do a, a sort of Heart of Darkness of Space. And I ended up passing on it because I didn't think we had enough money to do it well. And... Uh, also, um, because they wouldn't let us keep the merchandising. And, uh, and, and then, you know, after that, I look back for years. And I'm like, oh, my God, why did I pass on that? I, I, that was my one chance to do a sci-fi space series. What if it never comes again? So um, I was really lucky when uh, Steve and I sold Pandora to CW that we had our chance. Mm. We didn't get a lot of money, but we, <laughs> we, we at least got our chance to do uh, a space show. Well, and, uh, in season really two here, we finally got the you know a, a legitimate starship bridge, you know, with a big chair or treadmill, you know, but treadmill we call it exactly. There's no big chair because we wanted to invert the uh, cliches, you know, the big captain's chair. Even you know we talk about the warp bubble, but it's based not on Star Trek but on real technology. The Albuquerque Drive is a theoretical warp uh, technology. Um, and yeah, you know, so we talk about the you know the um, the code uh, that is 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 malfunctioning and stuff. So it's 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 a lot of fun. Now this is sort of recapping the scene what happened at the end of nine where we find out that Meredith Lucas is a traitor. I think most people who've been watching the show had an inkling that she was up to some shenanigans because uh, no one could be that friendly as she was in the beginning of the season, <laughs> and uh, you know the way she was treating Osborne. It's so one of my favorite things, uh, 209 is the flashback, of course, in the previous episode, where we see, you know, why her vitriol uh, that she has for, for Osborne, where it all started. And um, I'm really a fan. I mean, I think 209 and 210, you know, really are a two-parter. Um, and 209 sort of laid the groundwork for 210. And it was really a, a lot of fun doing that with Steve and Bria. Um, I, I, I just... Um, I love that episode. The response has been very heartening. People really, really love that episode. And, you know, obviously as the showrunner, you know, I did a lot of work on that script too. And um, it was so fun writing with them and just so many great pieces. And then, you know, this was something that Steve and I came up with, um, bringing back Captain Roy at the end of the season. We, we loved Roland in 207. Um, and uh, we knew we wanted to bring him back. I were joking on the on the phone. 
one day. I, I remember because the whole series, the whole first round during the pandemic, except for 10, the whole second season. So, you know, we were able to cross board, do all this stuff. It's definitely the way to do a low budget show, you know, to have all the scripts done. But um, we didn't have 10. It started, you know, the clock was ticking. It was kind of getting to the point where I had to write 10. And um, I don't know, Steve and I were joking on the phone um, about uh, his sister. And I think it was, I, I think I said, what if his sister's a Cronin? And we, we cracked up. It was like almost like a joke. And then we started talking about it and it went from being a joke to reality. And, and then we just leaned into it to the way we portrayed her, the way we dressed her. It's like, you know, instead of her having those formal robes at first, she's like in this cool, like sort of T-shirt, you know, design tee and jeans and everything. And only later is she in sort of the formal, you know, Cronin wear. But I just love, I love Captain Roy. I, 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 I really think he's a fun character. You know, he's Steve fantastic. had mentioned... I think he mentioned this during the podcast. You know, we were mixing last season and we were sort of kicking around. What, what do we want to do next season if we get picked up? And he said, ah, I want to do a space trucker episode. And I said, okay, well, that sounds like fun. And we would really originally written it for a different actor who suddenly wasn't available because of COVID. And we were really under the gun casting Roland and we were very lucky to get him. Um, because he ended up doing a great job. I never met him because I left after 206, uh, the Western episode, to come back to LA for post with Aaron. And, um, and so I never even actually met Roland, but I, I, the only time I met him was through dailies. And normally I send an email or a letter or call cast that I haven't met to tell them, you know, what a wonderful job they're doing and thank them. I've never talked to Roland. I, I've been so busy. I need to call him and just tell him how great he was. I'd like to have him back next season if we, uh, if we get to do another season. I never get to meet the actors unless they're doing ADR here in LA. And I only get to talk to them when I'm bugging them to go and do their ADR, which none of the actors like to do. So uh, <laughs> I don't, uh, they, they probably don't like me very much. <laughs> well, but you know, you only really I do if the actors in the U S and we have so many actors from the UK and from Bulgaria that you don't get to meet at all. Yeah. So, I mean, there's a lot, a lot of them, you, you know, you haven't got to, got to meet. And then this is Isabel Bonfrere. You know, um, it's really nice to have her back. You know, one of the uh, Freed sisters, um, because, of course, we, you know, um, originally the plan had been to have Ben Cross back Ben tragically passed away right before we started shooting. So we're very lucky to have set up this whole thing with Luke, who we love. And it actually worked out great to have Luke back. And then we really wanted to bring back Tamina and Isabel. And, uh, you know, so much of it was a product of um, COVID and budget and a lot of this stuff we just a lot of the things we wanted to do, we, we couldn't do because of money, because of travel limitations. And um, uh, it really became a, a challenge. So we were very lucky to be able to get Isabel here. The whole idea that she's you know been using TN4 to get, um, to, to incriminate Parallax this whole time, you know, to bring down her dad, you know. It's very Shakespearean, that whole drama. And I just love, this is something that Steve and I, came up with the idea that Oliver and Tina would have to disguise themselves as the Tarians, the Tarians. I even I'm pronouncing it wrong. The Tarians. And uh, I just think it's so much fun. I always love in like Star Trek, like something like face of the enemy where Marina Sirtis, you know, goes undercover as a Romulan and stuff. Yes. It's like one of her best episodes. So like, it, it's really fun to send them to Zatar and have them 
actually dressed up as the Torrance. And it was great because Oliver, after this, had a new appreciation for Ben and what Ben goes through. He's like, I never want to have to do prosthetics again. He was, he was just like so, it was so frustrating for him. Yeah, like, I thought they were excited of, about the idea at the beginning and that. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Trouble exactly. I don't know if Tina minded so much. I know that I know that Oliver did love it, but you know Oliver's such a pro and he's always such a good guy and has such a good attitude towards work. He never complained. He just laughed it off. But you know, he he's just you know a lot of times you know people say oh everyone is so great to work with, but in in our case we're very lucky that we have so many people that uh, are are just game to be a part of the show and give it their all and have such a great attitude. You know, you'll see, um, you know, uh, Oliver even learned Bulgarian this year, you know, to, 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 you know, basically bond even more with the crew, which was fantastic. Yeah. In the last episode, he spoke a little bit of Bulgarian. Yes. Which is our kind of our, our, our pigeon Bulgarian is our Zatarian. So, uh, now, this is fun, you know. Again, we have the classical music playing. And I want to single out, and we probably should have them on a podcast. You, you, you know, I know that uh, Peter interviewed them earlier before the season started. Uh, uh, Joe Kramer and Panka Koneva, who, um, yeah. uh, who really, I think, hit it out of the park with this episode. Uh, you'll see particularly some of the action moments with the spaceships and the battles. It's just really, really great. But I love what they did for this episode. And I had a lot of notes on this one because there were certain emotional beats I wanted to hit harder. See, here's and here's our Cronin. And I have to say, hair and makeup did a really nice job. We were concerned because it's an, it was, in the past it's been expensive makeup for us that we avoided doing because of the prosthetic. We had to bring in these special to, specialists to do it. And when I wrote that the the Cronin was going to be the final episode, I was getting a lot of pushback because of cost. And to uh, makeup's credit, they were able to redesign the the makeup so that it wasn't as pricey and it didn't take as long to put on. And it, I also didn't want Kalina, who played uh, the Bertha, to, to be too limited in her performance because she's very warm and charming and cute. And you know, I didn't want her to just be buried in makeup. And actually, the makeup they came up with for this season is better than the expensive makeup from last season. And she's so fun. She actually auditioned for um, uh, early in the season for Jennifer on in the second episode, the evil ruler of Clayton's world. But uh, I didn't think, you know, she, it was just something inherently nice and good about her that I felt was wrong for that. But I, I kept her in mind the whole season, uh, knowing I wanted to use her for something. And when this character Bertha happened, I, I just thought she'd be a great mix. And, you know, even here, her, you know, she has a slight Bulgarian accent, but it helps because she's an alien. Yeah, I would love to see the Cronin come back if there's a season three. Yeah, I would too. I'd like to do more with them. I'm not a huge fan of the set. You know, and Aaron will tell you we did a lot in post with color and, uh, you know, just recompositing a lot of these shots to try and make this more interesting. This is a really important scene and uh, it's just not... Not 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 one of my favorites, but you know it also is a cargo ship and a freighter. So you know the the you know the 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 rooms the quarters would not exactly be palatial, right? Editorially, we had just you know we had those two scenes that look so similar back to back. We had to try and do as much as we could to separate them so it wasn't didn't feel like it was the exact same scene running long running on. Now this is another wonderful actress who I found when I did my local casting, 
And uh, she auditioned also for another role. And immediately, I remember I said, can you do a British accent? She said, yes. And she did it for me. And I'm like, great. And I knew she'd be Xander's mother. She looks a little like him, but she also, uh, you know, just again, locally, but she has no Bulgarian accent, does a great British accent and just really sweet. And hopefully this lands for an audience because this was really supposed to be, you know, somebody's literally back from the dead. I mean, he's not literally Zion, but he's his clone. But his mother was so broken by his death during the war that this is a big, noble, incredible thing that Sanders doing by bringing him back home to the mother, um, you know, uh, so hopefully uh, the heart and the emotion of the scene comes through. I mean, like this scene, like a lot of other scenes, we had to lose a lot because of time. Now we're, you know, we're back in space. The Ipcris system, I got to give credit to Peter. Um, when he did that map early <laughs> on um, of the universe, of our galaxy, he did uh, Ipcris 4, knowing that I was a fan of the Ipcris file, among other things. <laughs> And so we wrote, I, when I wrote 201, I, I put it on Ipcris and I've been using it ever since. I, I got to tell you, just, you know, I've written an episode now. I'm doing a podcast. These are all amazing things, but I don't think I've topped just seeing a planet that I named on like a title <laughs> crayon. It's the coolest thing. I love it so much. Well, I'm if you look very carefully <laughs> at the map of the galaxy, you know, we were very meticulous in terms of doing that and, you know, showing where all the galactic civilizations are. The only little meta thing I gave myself was... If you see in the Sumi Empire, there's a planet called Taco Teca, which is the actual name of the Mexican restaurant in Bulgaria <laughs> that we used to go to. Your Bulgarian-Mexican place, right? Yes, exactly. <laughs> Where Whenever the new director would come into town, we'd take him to Taco Teca for a meal. We'd eat on the patio, social distance, and... Uh, but we, we would, and then, and they'd always be surprised at how good the Mexican food was in Bulgaria. I, I, I look, I'm a fan of the scene. I actually had a stand up for the scene a couple of times. A bunch of people wanted the scene out, uh, and they wanted it abridged. And I, it was really important for me in order to, you know, make, help make this turn for tyranny because, you know, we played her pretty much as a black hat up until now, or at least through Peter's episode 208. And, uh, I wanted to somewhat redeem her so that we could play her in a certain way next season. Um, and you sort of get more of an insight. The one thing I regret is because of time and money, we had to lose sort of a flashback where we saw this little girl. We'd even cast her where she's at this clone auction where she's picking her body. You know, so she picks the tyranny body and she's sort of like this sort of hunchback of Notre Dame type of character. And it, I think it really would have been very powerful. But again, I was getting a lot of pushback from production i was getting pushed back from the network nobody except me wanted to do it i think the director was worried you know because the script was long and he didn't have a ton of time so i mean i just unfortunately it was the producer side of me that had to beat down the writer side of me where i'm just like yeah the script is too long and i just i know from when i directed the finale last season you just can't go into the finale with a script that's too long because you're going to be screwed. I mean, I was dropping scenes left and right, and I could do that because I was the showrunner. But, I mean, Buddy couldn't be put in that awkward position where he can't make his days and can't finish scenes. So I ended up having to cut a lot. And we were still, like I said, way over in the cut. And there's a, there was a wonderful comedic scene on the Bertha between Priscilla and Raylan where he walks in on her in, the, um, in her cabin. Oh, yeah. and it was really comedic and cute and whimsical, and we had to cut it. Um, it just slowed down the pace and, uh, again, you know, there was more with the mom that we had to cut and, you know, a bunch of stuff. Uh, 
I know we keep pulling the deleted scenes from every season. I don't know, you know, if there's a DVD, a Blu-ray release or what we're going to do with them, but we have them. And I love, look, I, we say this, it's like we're like broken record. Vakash, Vakash, Vakash. Everyone loves Vakash. And, uh, you know, as you see later in this episode, he kind of, um, uh, you know, he, he, we find out he's a, the Manchurian candidate. He's a sleeper agent. And I, I did go to him early on when we decided we were going to go in this direction. And I said, listen, I, I just, I, I don't want you to think, you know, that this is a reflection in any way of your ethnicity or anything like that. It's sort of like the story dictated this. And if you're uncomfortable with it, we don't have to do it. But, um, you know, it just so happened. You know, I said, I want to do something with your character that warrants you coming back next season. You know, and if you're just a teacher at the school, I'm not sure there would be a, a, a storyline for you. And he was, he loved it. He, he thought he was totally game. But I was very wary because I didn't want people to think, oh, you know, you know, he's not Middle Eastern. He's, he, he, but, but that, that we were leaning into that awful trope. Um, and had, and had absolutely nothing to do with it. I think it just continues to add layers to the character. Oh, I, so look, much that's how I it. feel too. Um, uh, now, I want to just say one thing about this, and I want Aaron to talk for a while. But um, <laughs> did, did we film this scene before there was even an outline for this episode. The problem was we had Luke come down filming uh, the first episode, his first episode, and we weren't sure if because of the pandemic and the lockdown and quarantine, we'd be able to get him back. So I figured just as a backup plan, we needed to have this because I knew this would be in the finale. So I wrote this scene between Osborne and him without knowing what the story was for the finale, without having a script or even an outline. And this script and this scene just existed. So when I actually wrote the script, I actually had to make sure that the scene went into the script. And um, it was really funny because I'm like, what if the network wants me to cut it? You know, I'm really screwed. Or what if they have notes on the scene? Because I've already shot it. You know, <laughs> I didn't just shoot it. I shot it months earlier. <laughs> so... Um, it, it, it was really fun. It all worked out great. And uh, I, I really hope to do a lot more with Luke next season because he was a real trooper. And, um, you know, I have, I have big plans for him and Osborne if we're able to, to, to do that. So yeah, there's your spaceships, Aaron. I know, I know. It's uh, Mark had to uh, rein me in in the, in the sound mixers. I was trying to do a whole bunch of uh, – uh, engine startup sounds and trying to really build up that moment there of the uh, of the, the ship coming back to life. Um, it's uh, I love that stuff. And it's uh, <laughs> if we're, you know for season three, if we're doing a lot more stuff on the ship, uh, I'm going to be able to spend a lot more, uh, put a lot more energy into uh, things that we do with the ships and the ship systems and the and the different sounds and visuals and stuff that we uh, that we uh, design into it. Well, because Aaron's such a big genre fan, he's one of the few people that I trust who exercises good judgment with this stuff. And he also just has such a, we joke, he's eagle ears Aaron because he hears things that nobody else hears. Maybe it's because I'm getting older. You know, I, I don't hear some things that he, he hears at the sound mix that we're able to, to fix and, and, and uh, adjust, you know, um, because, you know, you can't tell on TV because of the compression. But when you watch it on the app, the CW app or on Amazon, you really uh, you can tell the nuance of the sound mix. And we had a, such fun in, on 209 and 210 doing all this bridge stuff and the malfunctioning ship and the battles. And 
it was it was really great. I mean, it, it's tough because sometimes we don't have the finished effects when we when we mix this, the battles. We we're very lucky on this episode that for all intents and purposes we had everything in, so it was much easier to mix um, than it had been. Now this is a challenge because of actor availability issues. We shot all the stuff with Aleka when she was there for 206. Then we went off and shot 207 and shot all the stuff with Roy. And then we shot 209. Then we came back to 210. So that's the whole cross-sporting thing. And wow. uh, see here, they're not even in the quarry. That's a green screen. It's actually a plate shot of the quarry that we later shot at many weeks later. But this was shot literally right after we shot the Western. And it was another situation where it's like, we were shooting a couple of days and everybody's like, where's the script? It's like, okay, I'm working on it. I mean, there were a day or two where I literally did not go to the stage because um, uh, I, I had to finish the, I had to finish the episode. And, um, uh, yeah, our, our colorist, Darren did a great job with, um, with making these, uh, you know, throughout the series, we, we, you know, we have, well, we have all these different exteriors and we have to try and make them look like different, different worlds. And, and uh, I think he did a really nice job here with uh, Asmodeus. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I'm really glad that you acknowledge some of the other unsung heroes. Darren, our colorist, you know, he really is such a fan of the show that he goes above and beyond, and he really helped us dial in a look for Asmodeus that makes it feel really alien and cool and, you know, and, and, and gives the show, I mean, again, we, we have no money, and we're competing with, like, the not competing, but, you know, People are looking at it alongside The Mandalorian and uh, the CBS All Access sci-fi shows and um, The Expanse and you know, these little shows with you know tens of millions of dollars and we got tens of cents and so everybody just brings their game down, carries the show on their back to elevate it and I'm so proud of them. I mean, I, you look at the work that Crafty Apes is doing with the visual effects; it's extraordinary. And then, of course, our partners um, at Cine Digital back in Sofia. Um, I, I have to give it, you know, total shout out to uh, Stanislav and Nikki who oversee Cine Digital uh, under, you know, the aegis of Phil Roth, our, our producer there. And they've done an amazing job and they've come so far in the last year in terms, they do a lot of our composites and they do the holograms and they do, um, um, you know, did all these beautiful uh, plate shots and uh, a lot of our drone footage. And it's just, it's, 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 I'm so grateful to, you know, everyone because everybody works so hard on the show and it's such, it's not an easy show to make. Uh, I, I, I sound like a broken record, but you know, it's easy with, or easier when you have money. It's very hard when you have no money and no time, which again, the pandemic and, and with the COVID, I mean, obviously that's the least of anyone's problems, but you know, we were really, uh, really challenged because we were spending a lot of money on mitigation and safety as we needed to. Um, but it, you know, came out of the show budget. You know, one of the things is we have to have a lot of faith in, you know, in the partners, you know, with other VFX houses and, and others, because it's, um, it's unlike, you know, some of the, the, the larger shows, we don't have the luxury or the, you know, or, or the, 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 the system to be doing 20 different revisions of VFX shots. I, you know, I, we have to, yeah. I love yeah. this. By the way, I think Buddy did a phenomenal job with this whole sequence. Phenomenal. I'm really happy with this. Um, I have to say, uh, for those of you who are interested, this originally was going to be a huge fight between Xander and Raylan. The whole season was the idea of these two friends pitted against each other. It was leading up to that. And then as you guys have heard or listened to the podcast, about 
you know, 20 minutes after getting home from Bulgaria, I got a call that Oliver had broken his <laughs> wrist and I was going to have to rewrite the whole thing um, because for the rest of the season, his, you know, left wrist was going to be in a cast. So that was the end of this fight scene. But it was a great news for um, Ash K, Akshay, Shay, Shay Kumar, who, who uh, plays Jet, who the whole season, he just wanted to not get his ass kicked. He just wanted to, like, do something cool in a fight because for, he'd been for so long, like, sort of the comic relief, you know, while Raylan and Xander did all the fighting. And he was so, I'm like, I finally said, Shay, you're going to get to do something cool. You should, you got to thank Oliver for breaking his wrist because you're finally going to get your moment in the sun. And so, you know, that we wrote it. And, and like I said, I think Buddy did a really, this whole sequence, I, from here on out, I think this, this, this episode is just like gangbusters. And the score here is just beautiful. It's very operatic. And I love these guys turning against each other and just the fact that, you know, everything that the uh, evil Jax had said was going to come true has come true. Jax doesn't believe in humanity anymore. She, she, she realizes that people can't change. Maybe it's time to reset the table. Maybe we'll get it right the next time uh, that, that, you know, these people are inherently flawed. Um, you know, after, after Aleka is killed by, you know, Meredith Lucas, maybe there's no saving uh, humanity. They're not worthy of survival. And I love all this. I think it's great. Hopefully that all comes across because a lot of it got cut. <laughs> and, uh, and here's the jacket from hell. Uh, Aaron will attest. I hate this jacket. I, I cannot hear about stop. It on, I hear about it on a daily basis. I, 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 you, know, I, you know, again, it's like I left, you know, where, you know, when I'm there, I approve everything. I oversee everything. I'm in all the meetings, you know, I'll work with the directors, you know, and obviously very deferential, one of the directors to have their say, but then I'm gone. And somehow this direct, this, this outfit shows up on him. This is a, you know, it's the end of the season. Everyone's tired. I don't know what our costume people were thinking, because they're usually so fantastic. I'm such fans of theirs. And I just hate this freaking jacket. I mean, he looks, I, I said, it's like, it looks like, what were they having a sale at members only or something? Uh, you know, it's just, uh, he's shopping vintage circa 1978. Um, okay. I'm going to stop. I don't want to bad mouth our show because I love this. I love this episode and I, this scene is so powerful. I, lo I love the circularity of the fact that now, you know, he, Oliver, the, uh, Xander is going to have to put, you know, Pandora in the box the way that Oliver, the way that, um, you know, uh, Osborne. Osborne did, and it's so tragic. I remember coming up with that in the writers' room at the beginning of the season. I just had this smile on my face. Everybody looked up. I said, "I said I got it. I got the. I got it for the finale." They're like, "What? What?" I said, "Xander has to put Jax in the box." And everybody's like, "Oh my god!" Everybody just started going crazy. It was like one of those moments. I have once a year, um, just a real inspiration, and it was like so cool. <laughs> now I don't know if people are are gonna um, guess that this is Bloom. It's fine if they can, you know. I think if like, you know, if you find out later that it's Bloom, great. If you guessed, good for you. Like I'm sure there'll be people on Twitter. It's like I bet that's Bloom. You know, it's like yeah, okay. It's not really a secret. <laughs> um, I think it's I think it's 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 really cool. It really pays off 208 uh, because I love the end of 208 where you know she goes back to the pilot, you know, and is, is sort of like watching everything that Jax has done and, and learning from watching Jax's journey. And, you know, this, but it was like, okay, that was a really cool sequence. 
you know, the writing and obviously the direction by Max was a brilliant, but how does it pay off? Well, here we find out that she can travel through time and, and we'd really been resisting time travel. I had a lot of people telling me we should never do time travel. This is not Star Trek, but I love the way we finally did time travel on the show. This, this was a big swap that Aaron and I made in score at the last second. We ended up putting back in the music from 203 because we needed something more big and epic. And now we're in our, our, our hotel where the ancients live. It's so difficult. I wasn't on the commentary for 203, but it's so difficult. How do you depict super powerful aliens? You know, are, are you, you know, uh, are they CG? Are they like in Deep Space Nine just, or every other science fiction show? It's our characters playing them. You could not imagine what we look like. So we're showing up as people you know, you know? And, and, and it's like, so I remember at some point, Chris and I were talking about having a real Twin Peaksy vibe. And, I, I, and I'm like, oh, I know how we should do this. And, and um, basically, um, Chris and I just got really excited about it. And we talked to Steve about it and he got excited about it. And so, you know, we wrote all that stuff for 203 that worked, I think, like gangbusters. And then, you know, this scene, I think, again, not only Buddy, but really Will Paley, who cut this, our editor, just did a really marvelous job. Will was a late ad to our editorial team. Uh, he was recommended by somebody who couldn't come back from last season. And he cut 205 in this episode and did a great job. Because this was a tough scene. They were really rushed. And it was like the most important scene of the season. And uh, I think that they really pulled it off between music and um, effects and editing. And um, the, this, the lens, uh, the 10-millimeter lens that Buddy used. And, and I have to say, to his credit, to, you know, or to our credit in general... The reason Buddy got the idea to use this lens was because he was on set when we were filming 204 and he saw Brea using it and fell in love with it. And he said, oh, I'm going to do the same thing. And the only reason he did that was because we really believe on having an open set for our directors where we bring them in a little early so they can spend time, particularly directors who haven't done the show before, with the director who's coming on later and spend some time on set getting another cast, getting another crew, seeing how other directors shoot. And I remember Buddy was a little wary of being on set. He thought he was stepping on Bria's toes. And I'm like, no, the whole point of you being here is, and, and I said, Bria was on set when Brett was directing and she knows that she wants you here. We all want you here. And then he said, okay, he finally got covered. And then he realized like why it was great to be there. And he was able to take what he learned. And he is probably one of our most experienced directors. And, but he also realized that shooting this show is unlike any other show. And he, he really applied it in the scene, which is just wonderful. And this little girl's terrific, Ewan. I think one of I the things the, I really... Sorry, go ahead, Aaron. I was going to say, I, was just, uh, I missed the pigeons from 203, though. I know, I know. <laughs> we, we, we'll uh, see. When the visual effects supervisor directs an episode, there's a lot more effects. And, you know, the pigeons were such an inspired concept. They actually came from Chris, the director, uh, the idea of the pigeons being a manifestation of the ancients. And it did a wonderful job. And we were looking for ways to put them in here. But it just didn't feel right. And it feel, felt like it could be distracting because this was one of these big kind of Star Trek arena slash I will not kill today uh, kind of speeches. And I think the pigeon, where it worked so brilliantly in 203, I think would have been laughable in this episode. And I, I, you know, look, there's a lot of emotion and 
you know, some could say it's overly melodramatic, but I like all that sentimentality. And I, I like this sort of optimism. Um, it's something that obviously appealed to me about original Star Trek and Next Generation. And, you know, obviously our show is very much in that mold. Um, but I love, you know, the idea of self-sacrifice. You know, we live in a world where, you know, just the other day was Pearl Harbor Day and I was thinking, my God, you think of all these people who sacrificed so much in, to, to go to war in World War II or to work in the factories and do all this stuff on the home front, even with rationing. Now people won't even wear a mask. I mean, it's like, what, 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 you know, what kind of sacrifice are people willing to make? People are so spoiled and so indulgent. And I, 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 you know, but I, I do have hope for the future. I think this new generation, this Gen Z, I think is really something special. Unlike those millennials. So <laughs> I think this Gen Z really is special and I, I'm very excited for the future with them. And, th and this show has a lot of Gen Z values to it, you know, which is funny because I'm like an old fogey, but I, I'm, I'm digging the Gen Z. You know, sometimes we use a word or an expression or a reference to the networks like, you know, could you not do that? Our audiences are going to know what the hell you're talking about. Tell <laughs> so you. You mean because they sound erudite? No, because you sound old. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> and here, I love this. This, final this, this Ma well, and Mata, yeah, and this Mata thing was a late ad. It was yeah. actually this crazy idea that I had, um, and I called up Aaron. I said, you know, we have, let's go through the footage. And to our credit, James McDonald, who was our assistant editor. You know, oh, no, it was actually, um, wasn't J James in this it's case. Maureen. It was, Maureen, it was Maureen another wonderful assistant editor we had. And she went through all the footage and she found this footage that cut really well. And it was like, there was so much love for Mata and Tegan that we really, you know, people were so upset that she was gone. We wanted to end on a hopeful note, you know, that the two of them would be together. And this, I, I don't know if it's an alternate dimension or if it's heaven or, you know, whatever it is, uh, the alternate universe or, um, but that at least they would be together, you know, reunited, and it feels so good. I love this shot. This is another really nice shot. Buddy, buddy, buddy's really good with blocking, composition, and performance. He, he really had a tough uh, road to hoe. Four episodes back to back, shot out of order. Yeah, and it's not like Game of Thrones where they just keep throwing money at you. Although it's really interesting because I. I read that great book, Fire Can't Kill a Dragon, the oral history of Game of Thrones. And I really mm. laughed because a lot of their experiences in those early seasons when they didn't have money, I really related to. <laughs> you know, some of, the, some of the, you know, they were coming in short and they were adding scenes with like two-handers just to fill out the running time. Not that we ever did that, but I, I totally got the whole thing. It was very interesting. Mm. Now, this is cool because this is... Um, you know, we really wanted to do this big action moment because the idea that Bloom was is kind of like, uh, you know, we, we kind of want to make her like an X-Men, you know, because the idea is to go into next season and be in a, go in a more sort of Guardians of the Galaxy kind of, you know, each season yes. we kind of reinvent the show and the idea with next season would be kind of Guardians of the Galaxy meets Starship Troopers, you know, yeah. and, uh, and, 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 you know, this season was sort of our, our Star Trek homage and last season was, you know, Harry Potter in space knee paper chase and next season would kind of be uh <clears throat> guardians of the galaxy although i guess on the cw we shouldn't call it guardians of the galaxy should probably be a uh should be a uh a, a teen titan comic there you go how about that jacket <laughs> loving it yeah <laughs> 
So I, I like this. I love when Raylan comes in. Like, I, I know that 90% of the audience has it figured out by now, and Raylan doesn't, but that's okay. I, I, and I think just Xander's being kind of a badass here. It's, it's good stuff. And I really, I really like what we did in terms of um, the Bloom character, and of course, you know Priscilla's arc. Because again, we we really pay off on what we set up that first season, you know, and and, and you know, in a way, that character of Jax's journey is over. She saved but the universe. She saved the universe. Yeah. And I, but there's, you know, people is, but it was very important to us that it not feel close ended. Like, okay, the universe is saved, so is the show over? It's like not by a long shot. It's only beginning in terms of these stories that we want to tell. But we do want to, like, actually, you know, uh, that's one thing I, I think CW does very well is, you know, the, the, at the beginning of the season, they usually set up, you know, the situation of the big bad. And by the end of the season, it's usually resolved. And then the next season, it's a new thing. So we didn't want this whole journey to save the universe to be like a seven season thing. You know, we, we kind of wanted to wrap it up, you know we strung it along. It was a slow burn first season, maybe too slow. So this season we definitely knew we wanted to deal with it head on and wrap it up so that we had kind of a clean slate for season three. And the next 10 minutes of the episode, the final 10 are really setting up, you know, all those strands for next season, which is of course, um, uh, you know, they're, they're, they're fugitives that the earth, uh, you know, has been corrupted that the, you know, we all thought the rebels were, were the bad guys and they're kind of the, the good guys and she's in good hands with all state. <laughs> and, uh, you know, obviously we want to see that group of characters again. They're, they're all wonderful. Yes. And so obviously this is another thing we're setting up that now Osborne would be working for Harlan freed. And what does that mean? What does that entail? You know, and, and the fact that the way we explored how he killed his wife, we also want to understand more what is this strange relationship between Osborne and Harlan Freed. Mm-hmm. And of course, just, you know, anything. Noah is such a gift. We just love Noah. And uh, I just, you know, love writing scenes for him. I loved the, the, um, the dinner party last episode. And then also Priscilla putting him in his place, which was great. Because all of last season, you know, Osborne was sort of kicking her around and being dismissive and being a jerk. And then, you know, it's like Jax really gets to sort of put Osborne in his place in 9 and 10. Because she really rises to the occasion, you know, and, and you know, takes on this thing that she's been running from the whole time. And I think it's, I think it's really nice. Aaron, that bridge is great, isn't it? Yeah, I can't get enough of it. Yeah, we spend uh, a lot of time. The rest of the ship. Yeah, well, we definitely want to. You know, we have a couple other sets there, but you know, for season three, we'd like to build on a lot more. Um, and then this is this is great. I, I remember seeing this footage, and I just love it. I love that they used the jib to shoot this. This is actually the Bulgarian Ministry of Culture <coughs> called Endika and uh, ndk and uh when i i first saw it when i was going to get a coffee because the, the gift shop is right there it's across the street from my house for a season i said oh my god this place would be amazing for Zatarian capital it is very uh, soviet architecture old soviet architecture communist art it works oh, yeah. so super, well super dramatic look to the whole place 
And there's Georgie who plays Sal's and we'll be seeing a lot more of him if there's another season for sure. He's, he's great. And he's really earned his place in the ensemble. He was supposed to be a one-off and he was so good. We keep bringing him back. I realized this was a mistake. Instead of being Eve, he really should go into Jax's quarters and be looking at a picture of Jax. So this is my mm. fault. I wrote this wrong. Um, but I was trying to set up this whole idea that Eve is trapped in another alternate universe like we saw in 208. And then now they have to find her. Um, but, uh, you know, that'd be part of season three. But but um, it really should have been about Jax and, you know, anyway. But it's good because I think we've done a good job now of setting up Tierney to be part of the group. But we can't quite trust her. We never can trust her. We're not sure how much of this, you know, new Tierney is, is for real or will she go back to her old ways? But, you know, there's right got to be, be at least one or two more betrayals before she's uh, finishes yeah. her journey. I mean, it's always an agenda and she's always going to be looking out for herself more than anybody else. Now, I have to say this whole thing I wrote before the election about, um, you know, whatever happens, we, we resist, you know, and it really definitely was a. a I was making a political statement, an anti-Trump political <laughs> statement, but, um, but, um, but, you know, now that the election's over, uh, I, it's still, I, I think originally that he, he said we fight until we can't, but I, I really, I thought it was in retrospect, it was a little too much like angel, the end of angel. And so, um, uh, you know, and the resist was very intentional. Um, and then of course, my, my only regret with this is that the Dauntless fires first. It should have been, and again, we couldn't change it because this, this is all, you know, we had like no time to finish this, but um, it should have been the, the Earth ships firing at the Dauntless first and they returned fire. But, um, you know, I, look, we're probably, we're just, we're not, we're not firing at full power. <laughs> they're, they're just targeting their weapons. They're not trying to, they're just trying yeah. to. Yeah. And again, Crafty Apes. And, uh, and, and, and they're a wonderful team of people. Uh, and then you can never go wrong with a phalanx of infiltrators being launched. Uh, I, I want to do more with the infiltrators. I love the fighters. And then, of course, you know, I, the one thing I was worried about is I didn't want them to come across cowardly. You know, they were, they were running away. I don't think it does. It's more like they're jumping in no. the sunset to avoid yeah. being destroyed to fight another day. So, but that was something that was my big note too. It's like, I don't want it to look like they're running. Cause I, I always remembered something David Gerald said about Battlestar Galactica. He said that the, the premise was inherently flawed because we were being, you know, it was basically about a bunch of people who were running away. And I always stuck with me. So I, I, I didn't want our guys to come across as being, you know, um, cowardly in any way. I don't think, it, I don't think they do. But um, but listen, there there was no no other choice. We we did it. We finished this season in the middle of a it worldwide is. pandemic, and and there it is. There is the result of our efforts. Two ten. Uh, what's the name of this episode, Peter? Oh, um, I have it. I have it. Uh, I forgot more than you will you'll ever know. See, there you go. I forgot the title. <laughs> so it's, it's a personal <laughs> title. <laughs> um, but, but this uh, was a fantastic episode, a fantastic season. So it's a big congratulations to both of you yeah. guys. Thank wow, you. You, were, you, were, you were a big part of it. People uh, love that. You know, people love, love 208. Love. They love Bloom. You know, that's a you know, very off-concept episode. Uh, you know, bottle shows can be tricky. 
sometimes you end up with shades of gray <laughs> where Riker is saving himself <laughs> with memories of previous episodes. And, you know, in another world, that could have easily been your episode. It could have been, <laughs> been us. <laughs> I'm pretty sure that was my first pitch for you on 208 was let's not do a clip show. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm sure I'm sure I'm sure I'm sure it was. And, uh, you know, next next week, we're going to come back to do a, a, a recap of the season. Steve Krasir is going to be here with uh, Peter and myself. And we're going to look back at the season, tell some stories and um, sort of uh, talk we about do some more where we've been, season three. where we're going. Well, look, yeah, absolutely. And again, you know, there's no guarantee there's going to be a season three. We all hope yeah. so. We all want to do it again. So, Definitely you know, so. again, I, I, I say to you, our loyal audience that's listening to the podcast, whatever you can do to reach out. I know some people using the hashtag Renew Pandora I've seen on social media, but uh, just let uh, people know. But the best thing you can do is tell your friends and family, watch Pandora, CW app on Amazon Prime, you know, um, Check it out, enjoy it, um, spread the word because we don't, in addition to not having a huge budget, we don't have a huge marketing budget. So, I mean, we are the little show that could. I've compared us in the past to Babylon 5, which I think is a more, you know, an app comparison. Uh, I love Deep Space Nine, but, you know, when Babylon 5 was on against Deep Space Nine, you know, they were the small show with a little budget that, you know, wasn't, didn't have the Star Trek imprintor and, you know, it was challenging, but it was great. And, um, you know, we're, we're, we're that we're the one show out there that doesn't have this, you know, big sci-fi show that doesn't have a big, uh, big IP behind us. So, um, you know, Boba Fett will not be coming next week on, uh, on, uh, on, oh, on, on Pandora. I, that's my spoiler. You will not be seeing for. Boba Fett. Yeah. You, you, you won't be seeing uh, Cod Vanth and you, you definitely, uh, won't be seeing, uh, um, Admiral, uh, Admiral Grand Admiral Thrawn will not be coming to Pandora. <laughs> so, uh, but, uh, but I'm, I'm really, look, I'm appreciative so much to everyone who's, who's given so much this season, our cast, our crew, obviously to Aaron, our producer and post-production supervisor, you know, Peter, who's worked so hard the whole season had to put up with me, uh, and Steve, uh, you know, who, who, you know, it's just, none of this is easy, but, um, you know, when we get to sit back and watch 10 episodes of TV that we're ultimately very proud of, it, it's, it's very satisfying. And, uh, you know, it's very gratifying to see the response that audiences have had to the season. I think people really have responded in a, a wonderful way. And, and, and that's, you know, that's very exciting and gratifying. Well, that will wrap things up. Mark, Aaron, thank you guys so much for being here. Aaron, final words on 210? No, no, just uh, just a wonderful way to uh, have something a nice way to end 2020 you know uh finishing up here it's uh it's uh makes really t put a, a cherry on top of 2020 in a good way yeah i mean when i had covid you know early this year you know after i got back the la the first time i was overseas in europe uh for prep i kept thinking I can't, I can't die because I still have to write the season of Pandora. So <laughs> it got me through some, some, some sick, uh, some very uh, uh, rough, rough days in bed um, uh, to, uh, you know, on my, uh, until I was on the mend. And then as soon as I was, I immediately had to dive into, uh, into, into writing and, and working because that was, uh, that was rough. But, you know, some of my most fun memories are, you know, those days we all had in the, uh, the writer's retreat before COVID where we all got together and did our writer's retreat, writer's retreat this season. And I have to say so much of what came out of that, 
that that uh, that week week long writers retreat and later in the writers room you know came from that retreat you know so uh, just a great great writing team great writing staff so appreciative to Susan Osborne and Darren Scott Lisa Kling Peter um, Steve Krasier of course um, and uh, um, Bray Grant who 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 did an episode as well as directing two episodes um, and of course Tom Vitale so. Um, uh, thank you to you know everybody. It's it's a team effort, you know. This is not an autorist show. Orson Welles did not make this show, so uh, <laughs> it's, it's a team effort. And um, thank you, and thank you to the audience. I hope you'll join us next week when we do uh, the uh, Pandora season two report card. Yeah, and if you like this episode, listeners, hop on to uh, uh, iTunes and give us a subscribe and give us a nice rating. And if you like the episode, hop on to IMDb and give us a nice star rating on there. We appreciate it. And it might just be the thing that helps us get uh, the season. Uh, so until next week, uh, for Mark, Aaron, myself, thanks for joining us. And we'll see you next time.